It's either do you want a shoulder that pops out whenever you probably do anything in life or do you want to be able to do everything in life, do it absolutely perfect but just not be able to throw a javelin anymore and that was, yeah, the outcome of me having to retire. <laughs> you can just throw with your other arm though, it's fine. Oh, yeah. Hey, if there's a 20-metre <laughs> competition, I'm in. <laughs> I'm Jamie Nobbs, a former Australian figure skater, and you're listening to So What's Next, the podcast for athletes sharing their stories of their transitions out of sport and into their new career. On this week's episode of So What's Next, we have the great Kim Mickle, Australian track and field athlete competing in javelin. Kim held the Australian record for a throw of 66.83 metres until 2018 and placed fourth at the 2006 Commonwealth Games and gold at the 2014 Commonwealth Games. Kim also placed silver at the 2013 World Championships in Athletics and while she represented Australia at the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Summer Olympics, she actually suffered a devastating blow, dislocating her shoulder by throwing it out of its socket in the qualifying round. Kim then began her Australian Football League Women AFLW career in 2016 with the Fremantle Football Club for the 2017 season. However, this was short-lived as she ruptured her anterior cruciate ligament, her ACL, in round two and had to go for a knee reconstruction, which subsequently ended her football career there. While Kim has only recently retired from sport, she's now coaching at Athletics New Zealand and I can't wait to find out what she's been up to since. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Good to be here. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? Were you a sporty kid? Were you active? I was probably a typical Aussie kid with an older brother. Um, I grew up thinking girls and boys actually had the same ability and I used to run around with my older brother and keep up with him with with most things. So, yeah, if there was a cricket ball, we were out there throwing at a stump out in the front yard or if there was a, a footy, we'd be kicking it between trees trying to get a goal or yeah, if we're at the, the beach, we're out surfing on some bodyboards or just anything and everything we can do, I was doing with my brother. So sport was what we loved to do. Um, and it actually didn't take me probably until I was at high school uh, when I realised that usually girls aren't as good at sport as boys. Um, and I thought that was quite strange. But yeah, it was, it was quite a um, a funny moment when, yeah, you, you take on all the boys and you beat them and they were like, but you're a girl. <laughs> so how did you get into javelin? What what actually drew you to it? Was it something your brother did or how did you actually find the sport? Yeah, well, my brother actually played AFL um, as a kid and I always wanted to play that because he was playing it. But unfortunately, there weren't any girls teams back then. Uh, so I had to find my own little niche for a sport. And, uh, one of my friends actually said that they were doing athletics and it was sort of, the club was near my house. So they said, come down to a training session one day. So I was like, all right. So ran on down there while my brother was at footy training and ran a race and jumped into some sand. And then there was this, um, event where you get to chuck things and I could always throw a cricket ball as far as the boys. So when I found that there was a throwing event there I straight away fell in love with it. When you are just getting started into athletics do they expect you to run and jump and throw like are you quite a generalist or do you go straight into like a specialization of a sport? 
No, you definitely do everything. So it's little athletics, it's called, and it it's great for the basic fundamentals of every sport. So like now being an old fart, um, I would tell parents to put their kids in athletics, even if they don't want to do athletics, I'd say just get them to do some basics of running, jumping and throwing because most of those mechanics are in most sports. So yeah, I certainly did everything, um, had fun doing everything as well. The main thing as a kid is you want to do it because your friends are there. And I think at the state championships, I, like my um, my parents were watching and very proud and I was down at the 100 metre start line having like handstand competitions with my friends instead of being all serious about it all. So yeah, definitely you, you do everything. And, and the main thing about kids athletics is it's about fun. So when do you decide what niche you want to go into? What age bracket do they actually get you to yeah, specialise in one? I was pretty fortunate to, there was a, a West Australian Institute of Sport Talent Identification Day where um, I think I was 14 or 15 years of age and they pretty much gave you eight to 10 tasks and then they sort of tell you what event you'd be best at. So like there was a 30-metre sprint, a standing long jump, a medicine ball throw, and one of the events was a cricket ball throw. So I went there and, and threw the cricket ball. I think as a 13-year-old, I think I threw it almost 80 metres on the full. And as yeah, a 13-year-old girl, most of the um, coaches there went, well, that's unusual. Um, and also, we think you're a javelin thrower. But by this stage, I'd already been doing little athletics and kind of knew I was pretty good at it. Um, so then getting the backing from the Institute of Sport, they gave me a coach, um, they gave me some pathways, which was really, really cool. And it was probably sort of when I was 16, I probably focused right in on just the one event, but right up till 16, I was still like mucking around with like all sorts of sports. That's cool. So as you moved from the little athletics into the higher levels, what did your training regime and recovery look like? And how did that change over the years? Um, well, as a kid, I just, it was just trying to learn the craft. Like it was all technical strength isn't really important when you don't know how to throw the thing properly. So first thing is to learn it properly. And then we add, um, sort of the strength and conditioning sides of it. Uh, when you get a little bit more specific, you add your plyometric and your sort of, uh, ballistic sort of movements in there. And almost with every age that I got older, it got sort of more and more specific and the training regimes got, more intense um, and more purposeful as well. So, yeah, by sort of the end of my career, my days were that structured that I knew minute by minute what I was doing, how I was doing it and how I was going to feel because it was like clockwork really. So, yeah, it was it sort of was a nice little wave or a curve up from being sociable, fun, and I sort of still transferred that into my sort of serious um, end of training. I still had my fun. I still like was doing it because I loved doing it. But yeah, it's it um it certainly got pretty pretty intense. In terms of recovery, I'd imagine because you throw with you have one dominant arm throwing. How do you keep the the body balanced? So both shoulders equal strength. How do you actually keep those in check? Yeah, well, weirdly, um, when I was throwing, I'd have fourteen training sessions a week, um, and I'd have uh, one day completely off, which was always a Sunday. But every single one of my training sessions were both sides. So um, I only ever threw a javelin maximum three times a week, if not only two sessions out of my 14 were throwing a javelin because it is quite hard on the body. And I mean, the javelin's only 600 grams, but because you're holding it so far away from your body and gravity and 
all these sorts of things, it is quite hard on on the arm. Um, so, yeah, literally only two of the sessions out of my 14 were single arm dominant. And saying that, we still even threw with my left just to sort of A, challenge me and, and roll the left over as well. So, yeah, I was pretty balanced. What was the disparity between throwing with your left and right arm? Really, really good to really, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like chalk and cheese. <laughs> A lot of people, a lot of people said like once I hurt myself, um, oh, you should just throw to your left. I'm like, <laughs> you've got another arm. Why sure not? I'm pretty sure your grandma can throw further than me with your left, with my left. But yeah, no, I, it was not an option. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I cannot throw. That's why I picked figure skating. Lack of yeah. hand-eye coordination. Yeah, lack of upper body strength right there. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it amazing what one side can do and the other just can't? It's just, it's amazing. It is. During your time, especially more at a, like an elite level, what did your support team look like around you? Yeah, it got pretty big. I remember there was a few meetings. Um, it was like called like the Kim meeting or something and there was about six people around a desk and I wasn't even involved in it. You weren't um, invited. So people, no, I wasn't invited. Um, so I had my coach, which was Grant Ward. He was probably the ringleader out of the whole group, but my sports doctor, Carmel Goodman, um, was always in there. I had my physio, my biomechanist, uh, my sports science person and, uh, the event manager all in the same sort of room talking about my plan and where I'm at. And yeah, I'm down in the gym lifting while they're talking about me. So it was, um, yeah, quite funny, but yeah, the team was quite big and everything I did um, at the end of my career certainly had a reason um, and a lot of sort of thought and, and in-depth conversations about it, which weirdly as an athlete, I didn't really 100% realise how much it actually or how much goes into it. And now I'm on the other fence. I kind of now understand what goes into it. So I just did all the heavy lifting and they pretty much um, were the puppet string masters. <laughs> So you had some incredible achievements as an athlete. When you look back at your time, what are you most proud of? Like in terms of achievements by like competition achievements, I think my big one was my breakthrough with the World Champs silver medal in 2013. I always got told when I was a young kid, I'm like 168 centimetres, so I'm short and I weigh 68 kilos. So as a thrower, that's not huge. Um, it's quite small and most people said you're too small to be a thrower, especially compared to like those big Germans and like you just can't compare Kim. So when I finally made it on the world stage and got the silver and was second best in the world, I almost felt like sticking my finger up to the people that said that I couldn't do it because I, yeah, you, you can, you can do anything that you bloody well want to do. So that was probably my biggest achievement in terms of a result. But I think the way um, I held my my own throughout my whole career, like I still, I really did want to make it fun, uh, enjoyable, still have a laugh, uh, not take it too seriously. Like obviously on the track, it was a job needs to be done, but off the track, I don't think I spoke about javelin or training at all with my friends. Half my friends didn't even know what I was doing. They just thought I'd just go out and just do exercise all the time. So yeah, I was, I was pretty, pretty proud how I, I kept my life probably level, level, like I wasn't too obsessed about it. And I was, yeah, probably that balance word's a good one. I think that's a great skill. I think a lot of people, whether they're sports people or business people, I think that's something a lot of people struggle with is that balance. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's great that you learned that as an athlete and hopefully it gets passed down to your athletes now as well. Yeah, yeah. What 
do you consider the most difficult challenge for you? So I know you had a couple setbacks and injuries along the way, but yeah, what were the most difficult challenges for you as an athlete? Well, yeah, like injuries are probably the the biggest hurdle uh, when it comes to to sports. So that was huge. Um, I was quite lucky in my latter end. Becoming a professional athlete was an option for me. So prior to sort of 2012, my biggest sponsors were my parents, but I was very lucky to have very supportive parents. And then I, I jumped on with the Institute of Sport and Athletics Australia had, yeah, programs where um, you're actually funded so you can actually train full time. So luckily I didn't have the financial issue like a lot of sports people do. Um, it certainly wasn't glamorous. Like I was living off like baked beans and like renting in a house with multiple people just to afford the rent, but at least I could actually train full time. But yeah, injuries, those moments where you think it's never going to get any better and when you've got a time frame that you think, this isn't going to get right in time. All those sorts of uh, thoughts were probably the hardest to overcome. But, yeah, having that good network around me with my big team, knowing the, the path and the process and trusting in that was a huge one. And um, most of the times we got through it. Um, sometimes we didn't, but that's just sport. Yeah. From the athletes that I've spoken to so far, funding does come up quite a lot in terms of a just a hurdle that a lot of athletes face they have to try and work or just make do so yeah it's a definitely a financial burden is a common one I see going on into those injuries so you dislocated your shoulder going into the or in the qualifying round at Rio is this a common injury no so I think I'm the only ever thrower um, to throw my arm actually out of its socket during a throw but it actually happened a year Prior to, I was in a gym in Germany doing a snatch lift and the bar was bent. So when I caught it up the top, the bar rolled in my hand and pushed my shoulder forward and popped it out. So unfortunately, that was right before the 2015 World Championships. I attempted to throw at the World Champs, but my shoulder was just popping in and popping out freely. So unfortunately, had to go under the knife, um, have a full shoulder reconstruction and that was 10 months before Rio Olympics. So I had 10 months to not only recover my shoulder, but get Olympic ready, which that in itself was incredible. I actually got to the shape that I did. And yeah, unfortunately, after 10 months of rehab, it might not have been quite enough time, but it wasn't to know. Um, the pressures and forces that go through an arm at training, like I did do a pre-departure qualifier to make Rio, which I completed. I threw the 60 metre mark, but I kind of did it by like pulling my arm in short and darting the javelin. Um, and to be able to actually throw 60 metres with a dart sort of action is just silly. So if I let my arms stay back and pull on the javelin, which is the correct way, it was like the potential of how far that jab could have gone would have been like amazing. But yeah, unfortunately, the shoulder didn't stay in. So yeah, that was all she wrote. That sounds horrible. Is it a recurring injury for you now? So I know in pair skating, for figure skating, uh, it is quite a common thing to basically weaken the muscles around the shoulder to the point that it does uh, dislocate and then it becomes later in life uh, an issue that they do have to go and get surgery for. Do you find that it is a recurring thing for you now? No. So my first surgery was to repair the anterior and posterior 
ligament in the shoulder. So, yeah, I think they just repaired it almost by just stitching it back together and, and hoping it will hold. But now after the – I've had now a second surgery, so the labrum where it popped out, that happened again. So instead they actually put – they did a latter repair, which they put like a, a bone block on that um, shoulder. So – it doesn't pop out again, but then unfortunately I can't throw anymore. So it's either do you want a shoulder that pops out whenever you probably do anything in life or do you want to be able to do everything in life, do it absolutely perfect, but just not be able to throw a javelin anymore. And that was, yeah, the outcome of me having to retire. (laughs) You can just throw with your other arm though. It's fine. Oh yeah. Hey, if there's a 20 (laughs) meter competition, I'm in. (laughs) On the topic of injuries, uh, you also had a ruptured ACL during your time in footy. Can you tell me about that period and what it took for you mentally and physically to overcome that injury? So 2016, I had my shoulder at Rio, quickly had my surgery, um, still didn't actually give up my javelin dream. I thought I'd be able to rehab it correctly and um, get back in, but there was going to be a long, slow process. So when that was happening, it happened to be the first year of inaugural women's AFL and like as I was saying earlier my I just wanted to do everything my brother did but I wasn't allowed to play AFL because there was no girls teams but I loved footy like that was probably the game that I would have played if I was allowed to so for the fact that this opportunity came up was almost like a blessing uh, in disguise because if my shoulder wasn't an issue I definitely wouldn't have tapped into that uh, opportunity Uh, but yeah it was an incredible little nine-month journey that I went on with the AFL career. But unfortunately, um, yeah, the the body once again was the one that had the final say. Um, I spent, like going from a, a power sport to a pretty much a, a cardio sport, like in my javelin, most of my efforts take about five seconds. Like we lift a weight heavy and drop it. My runway's like 20 metres and that's it and I throw an implement and that's like job done. But in an AFL, we had to do a yo-yo test and a 2K time trial. <laughs> Tell you what, it was bloody hard to transfer my body into yeah, a cardio beast. But I uh, loved the challenge, loved the game. But, yeah, unfortunately my first proper game yeah, in the season, I halfway through the game I, I blew my knee. So, yeah, it was just one of those things that happened. But, Yes, you just got to sort of roll with the punches. I probably gave myself a day to sort of feel really sorry for myself, took myself home, I think, all day feeling miserable and then got over myself very, very quickly and started writing up a plan and thought, all right, well, it's actually going to work quite well. My shoulder and my knee now are probably going to rehab at the same time. So the time frames for Javelin are probably going to be the same time anyway. So let's get this done. So Surgery done, rehab done. Um, my knee's actually great now. It's just, yeah, that bone block in the shoulder that I thought potentially I might be able to throw with. It's just, yeah, it's a no-go zone. So, yeah, the body's still feeling great. I just unfortunately can't can't throw things. Would you ever go back into AFL or is it you're, you're happy in the coaching position now? Look, I living in New Zealand now makes it hard to play AFL. But funnily enough, I coach a men's league here. They do have an AFL association. So, yeah, I'm the coach of the men's league in Christchurch. But uh, unfortunately, there's no women's teams. There's just the popularity here just goes to rugby, not AFL, unfortunately. But look, I've, I've actually kept my finger on the pulse with the women's AFL. And I tell you what, they've just... 
they've just gotten too good for me. <laughs> the, the standards are insane. So, like, I would love to play again, but, like, to be honest, they're just they're incredible athletes and um, I, I think I'll leave it to watching them play footy and, and being impressed rather than trying to keep up with them. <laughs> you got to start a new association for women in New Zealand. Get that oh, underway. No, no. <laughs> Do you have any mentors or did you have any mentors in athletics or in AFL? Yeah, I certainly had people I looked up to. I was really lucky that probably one of my biggest mentors was um, a training partner of mine, uh, Kylie Wheeler. She was a, a heptathlete, uh, went to a couple Olympics and was just one of those most like down-to-earth, gentle, hilarious always out for a laugh but works really hard sort of people. So she was one of the ones that actually said when I was 16, um, the best way to probably learn something is by coaching it. So she used to coach a lot. So she sort of passed me on to like some clubs and some schools when I was actually throwing myself to to coach myself and sort of learn by coaching. And I've, yeah, pretty much loved coaching ever since. So um, yeah, she was. I was really lucky to have most of my career training with her, uh, and then also like my parents were just number one, like there with everything. They were never the pushy parents or in the way, but they're always sort of the fly on the wall and always like there for me. So um, yeah, it was pretty cool having them around too. <laughs> Your number one fans. They were, and my number one bloody bank account. <laughs> That's it. Number one bank. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As an athlete, how did you define success and what do you see success looking like now as a coach? Probably two separate things now. Um, you used to, as an athlete, you always defined your success as what number is attached to you. So my number by the end was 66.83 and that's what I thought defined me. But as a coach now, it's it's totally not. It's the person you are. It's the surroundings you create. It's the friends you make, it's the memories you make, like it's all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I, I now as a coach like really understand the importance of not fixating on a number or a time or a distance but fixating on things that you want to achieve and little process goals and, yeah, sort of things that you can um, actually be proud of yourself with that's not a number. So, yeah, it's quite funny how they, they change from one side of the fence to the other. I think also something you have a little bit more control over is those little improvements here and there that do contribute to that big number at the end rather than just looking at the, yeah, that big number at the end, like you said. Yeah, oh, exactly. And like some people in their career having a number that really doesn't represent what they have actually given the sport and that's just, that's really sad. So, yeah, you almost need two numbers as a as an athlete, like you're, result number and then you're like what have you taken from this sport or given to this sport and have another number I think also what you've overcome during the sport at the end of the day the number at the end doesn't quantify the injuries you've overcome the stress that you've been put through the friends that you've made along the way as well how did you manage stress in and out of the sport both mentally and physically I was quite lucky to be pretty chilled stress didn't really I was probably never stressed about anything. Um, I always was pretty confident in my ability and then like the results uh, will will follow. So, yeah, certainly a stressed vibe wouldn't really represent me, no. 
probably yeah like I, I think I was always a glass half full with anything that came and I, I think because of all of my injuries I always knew that there was like yeah you might be down on the roller coaster but soon you're going to be going back up that roller coaster and that's half the fun of the sport is actually enjoying the ride along the way and um, the ups make the downs well, sorry, the downs make the ups so great. So, yeah, I certainly don't think stress was ever, yeah, a problem with me. <laughs> what was your, we've already touched on what was your transition into AFLW, but what actually drew you to the sport? What component of it did you enjoy? Oh, hand-eye coordination, running with a footy, kicking a footy, catching a footy, just like I grew up with a footy in my hand with my brother. So, yeah, it was just so natural for me and I'd really like I see myself as a pretty coordinated person and footy you actually need pretty much everything going on to be a good footy player so you need to be fast you need to be like you need to have good hand eye you need to be able to catch you need to be able to kick you need to have good depth perception like all those sorts of things all rallied into one so yeah I I just I think it's a great sport for the fact that you have to be pretty good at most things yeah so that's that's why I love footy. Today I've learnt that AFL is not for me. <laughs> just, <laughs> just given that criteria then, I'm like, mm, yep, I tick probably one of those boxes. Um, <laughs> did you find going from an individual sport to a team sport challenging or was it something that you thrived within a team environment? It was different. I've, I went from a very, like you almost have to be a selfish person to be an elite individual. Um, so in Javelin, my training, it was all about me. My program was so specifically catered for me that, like I said, I had a table of people talking about specific sort of points in my training. And in AFL, it's a team. So there's no I in a team. It's it's everyone. Um, and, yeah, it was, like, funny. Like, I, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself that I had to be perfect in everything where it probably wasn't as important. Like you probably more, I was more worried about myself rather than my team at some, like sometimes. And that was quite an interesting little battle that I had. But yeah, like the team camaraderie was awesome. Um, having mates by you, knowing that they're going through the same pain that you're going through, your success is their success and vice versa. Yeah, it was all really, really cool to be a part of. I'd imagine when there was a win, it would have been a great feeling or like when you've had a good session together, that teamwork, that camaraderie would have felt great. How did you find if other people in the team weren't performing, you had no control over that? How did you find that? Because you wouldn't have had that in an individual sport. It was like you show up on the day if you perform well, you'll see the outcome. If you don't perform well, you won't see the outcome. How did you find having to rely on like that team around you and if other people had a bad game, how did you cope with that? Um, I was lucky to have a lot of really good people um, in my team that I felt like I had to um, lift myself up to. So I was always worried that I wasn't good enough for them because I was very, very aware that um, like the position that I was lucky enough to have was somebody else's position that they could have had. So I've gone from one sport, never played a proper game of footy before, yet hundreds of other uh, females that played footy, I took one of their spots. So I, I felt a lot of pressure to 
yeah, make it, uh, make people proud that they did select me. So it was almost, yeah, the other side of it that I felt like I was letting people down. Like say if I fumbled a ball or my, my kick didn't go straight to the person, yeah, I'd be overly worried that I was letting others down uh, to the point where I probably then wanted to train more and then I probably got a little bit too fatigued, a little bit injured and that's probably where my knee blew out is because I was probably overtraining because... I wanted to be great for the other players because they were pretty well developed as AFL players and I was new. So, yeah, um, interesting. After your knee reconstruction, how did you find the transition out of sports? So I think I read that you went back into javelin and tried to give that a go. Um, Yeah. After that, how did you actually find the transition out of sport? I know moving to New Zealand was a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, when my knee blew out and the season was over with Fremantle, yeah, I went straight back into rehab and wanting to be a javelin thrower and nothing really, like I had all my family and friends in Perth, but nothing was really tying me in Perth. And um, it was at this stage that my partner actually got a job with Athletics New Zealand, weirdly enough, as a throws coach. And so we decided just to have a a quick journey over there and get some experience over there as coaching while I have my rehab and potentially me to train with some of the New Zealand throwers uh, because they've got some very decent throwers here. So I thought it potentially could have been a a really good place to sort of reboot, reset and like almost like recreate myself back as a javelin thrower. But unfortunately, my shoulder didn't. Uh, allow me that to happen uh, it was just always too sore that bone that they put in the shoulder just kept pinching and pinching and yeah it was pretty much it was pretty obvious pretty quick that it wasn't happening so luckily I jumped myself into the squad as a coach that my partner was sort of developing um, and then luckily my partner got a job in rugby and I took the job in um, athletics and took the squad on and I'm absolutely loving it. It's really cool to use what I've learnt through like 25 years of throwing myself plus um, like I've spent now three and a half years like shadowing some pretty epic throws coaches over here, jumping into some development programs and doing some study around it and all that sort of stuff. So things that I'm not really used to. Transitioning from an athlete to moving countries, I... Like in Perth, I was I was pretty cool, like because I had my javelin success plus my AFL. Like my name was quite well known, and um, like I was sort of most people sort of knew something about what I was doing. And then when I came to New Zealand, no one gave two rats who I was, what I've done. I was Australian, so they didn't care. So I had to almost rebrand myself and start from scratch because no, I didn't know anyone. No one knew me. Uh, no one cared because it's all about, as everyone would know, in Australia we want Australians to be good and in New Zealand we want New Zealanders to be good. So, yeah, having to start again was hard. Missing the family and all my friends and my networks and all that, it was really, really tough. But um, I tell you what, like I've learned so much more from, um, yeah, hanging out with like shot putters and things like in Perth, there's a lot of javelin throwers, which is really cool, but I'm very comfortable in that area. And in New Zealand, it's very much a rotational sport here. So the discus and the shot puts, yeah, I'm just learning so much. So it's, it's, it's super cool. 
Did you always expect to get into coaching after you finished your career, whenever that may have been? Was coaching something that you were always passionate about? Yeah, and I literally since that time when I was 16, um, when I started coaching some schools, I've always coached my whole way through. So even when I was um, at the peak of my throwing career, I was still coaching and and loving it. So, yeah, I, I did think or I, I wanted to be a coach outside of my uh, own career, but, like, jobs for that are few and far between. And, yeah, I just feel pretty lucky that um, I've got my foot in the door here in with Athletics New Zealand and yeah they're looking after me really really well and um, it's almost like yeah options are open Uh, the world is my oyster here and it's pretty exciting what we're doing over here. It hasn't actually been that long like you talk about it you have the experience of someone of a lifetime of someone but it's your coaching career has only been like three years at the moment so it's really exciting all these doors opening for you. What skills do you think as an athlete you actually acquired that are helping you today as a coach? I think like a bit of empathy is a big one. Knowing what you actually have to go through sometimes, being okay with setbacks, um, being okay with things not actually working out, being honest with yourself of what is actually achievable because some people just set just silly goals. So actually thinking what's achievable and how are we going to achieve it? I think, like, obviously in in my career, I always try to keep the fun aspect of it alive. So I try not to be so serious with my athletes. Um, We actually don't do, like, I used to do two laps of running, some rehab and stretching, and then do my session every sort of session. But instead now, like me and my squad, we play a game of like hacky sack or like we just play games to warm up and we have competitions each week and we have like we make it quite light and fun and I'm more on the fact of create a culture first and then the results will come so yeah that's where where I'm at at the moment I've been like really lucky to be involved in a high performance women's uh, coaching association here so I'm getting the opportunity to spend a lot of time with some really high profile female coaches and yeah, learning different aspects of different sports and, and how they overcome certain things and just having networks um, around the place that you can call on to is, is really cool. Do you think that placing that importance on creating a culture first, do you think that came from AFL or do you think that came as your from your time in Javelin? Definitely from Javelin first. And like in AFL, uh, one of our main words was culture in our team, but I just know that if I didn't want to do something, if I wasn't enjoying it, I wouldn't do it. And like I said, like a a number shouldn't represent what you are in life. It should be the process getting there. And that's what I really want to make sure my sort of my legacy here is about far out that squad, first of all, looks fun. Like they look like they're having a blast. And also, man, they're, they're training hard and they're getting the results too. So, yeah. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. I do. (laughs) How valuable do you think it is for athletes to have a plan when they stop playing sport? And what do you think they should be doing while playing sport? Do you think they should be keeping a balance, trying to find stuff outside of sport? How important do you find that? Yeah, I think there's so many different people out there. There's some people that can't just do one thing. They have to do something else or else they fixate on their sport so some people have to study 
to almost switch their brain off from from their training. That's me. Some people can't multitask and if they do two things, they're only doing those two things at half pace. So like I was always a almost all my eggs were in one basket. Do something, I do it 110%. But if I was doing two things, it just wouldn't be at 110%. I tried to. I tried to study, work and train and I just was subpar the whole time. So decided to commit to the full-time athlete and I know like I said some people can't do that at all because they go absolutely insane so it really depends on the person who you are it is hard outside like once you do come out of the other side of it like as an athlete you really do fixate on that number and what people think of your number and you as an athlete not as a person sort of thing so you really got to realize that no one actually really cares. Like it's such a fleeting moment in your life that is a great memory, but it's not who you are at all. Like in a year's time, no one will know who the next up and coming person is because they've come and gone and we've got a new up and coming person. So yeah, people that try and hold on to their past sort of career could be a bit dangerous unless like Probably if you're in social media or something like that, it might be a good idea. But um, certainly finding you as a person outside of your sport is super, super important. And then, yeah, almost relishing on that. I'm sure there are a lot of Australian and Kiwis out there that look up to you in sport and as a coach. Do you have any advice that you received as an athlete that you would still carry with you today? One of my favourite quotes is... um, Success is the journey, not the destination. And, yeah, that's that's the biggest one. The biggest thing, like I said, like sports, love. I've been a javelin thrower for, God, my first major champs was when I was 16 years of age when I was an under or oh, world youth. I actually won that back in 2000 or 2001 um, and retired in 2016. So 15 years of being almost a full-time professional athlete Sounds like a long time, but it's it's not. It's it's over for me now. And if you're just stressed and worried about everything all the time, you kind of forget about how awesome the whole journey is. So, yeah, my probably bit of advice is just remember why you're doing your sport and how much you actually love it. And if you don't love it, maybe have a rethink of what you're doing and or refine your passion because it's not worth doing something if you're not enjoying it. So we finish off each episode with the same question. What's next? Well, I mean, if someone asked me, asked 13-year-old Kim, Kim would have said, I want to be an Olympian. Now you ask 35-year-old Kim, and now I want to be an Olympic coach. So <laughs> my answer's pretty same. <laughs> Good. Well, I look forward to seeing your time as a coach and seeing how your athletes progress. I think it's really exciting. Thank you. We'll finish it there. Thank you so much for joining. I've I've loved this chat. I've had such a blast. Me too. If you enjoyed the episode and you want to hear more like Kim's story, not that there is any like Kim's story. It was quite unusual and it was quite incredible. Uh, but if you do want to hear some more stories of incredible Australian athletes, please hit subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify and Stitcher and If you like what you heard and you want to give it a rating, then I would really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. 